This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. Andrew set a pretty high bar on this one. I'm not sure I'd call it a spiritual path, but I have called it a wandering path. That's how I got here, I guess. So it's a bit of a story, um, an approximation of reality. It goes back a fair way, so it relies on memory. And I have a feeling that some of it is fiction because, like all things that you remember, they change with time. But I've gone back and thought about things that inspired me or led me to um, ultimately to beginning a quite a serious go at a Zen practice. But I'm going to start with a, a quote from a movie I saw just a few weeks ago. Um, it's by Andrew Kidman, who's a surfer, shaper and filmmaker on the north coast of New South Wales. And it's a movie called On the Edge of a Dream. Asleep out on the edge of a dream, shapes take form and disappear into the infinite abyss of the mind. Did you touch it? Was it real? Did it even happen? Awake. Some place there's a memory stain, an echo to start from. A reminder of something you can't quite put your finger on. Something you've chased since you first drew breath. Something you can't explain. Still wandering out on the edge of a dream. Out on the edge of a dream. It seemed to sum this whole thing up pretty well when I heard this. It's my Zen journey. It has three entangled threads. The idea of Zen. My interest in the natural world and my lifelong pastime of surfing. I sort of see this as mind, body and spirit in certain ways. All good journeys have a beginning, a middle and an end. To borrow from Hollywood, I will start with an ending. Peach and plum blossoms under snow and frost are not what I love. In green pines and emerald bamboo, so much cloudy mist. Even though you're not yet stained with chicken skin and crane hair, for some decades I have abandoned fame and gain. This is Dogen's China's poem, Snowy Night in Spring. What appealed to me about this is that I now have my own share of crane hair and chicken <laughs> skin. And to me this is a bit of a signal. It's a signal that the end is beginning to form around the story of this wandering path. I'm no longer a young man. I've arrived late to a Zen practice in a formal sense. This has led me to ask an important question of myself. Can an old fart practice the way? I haven't quite answered this one yet. But more of that later. But beginnings. Picture a small child a blonde boy with brown skin standing in the long grass on a summer's day, <clears throat> breeze filled with butterflies. 
This is a trace, a memory I have of being completely connected in the moment, without care, simply joyful. If you watch a small child long enough at play, you will probably see evidence of this connectedness. Moving along, the middle bit, or the beginning of the middle bit. Picture an adolescent, a long haired, it was the 70s, brown skinned youth, paddling a surfboard into the golden glow of the sun rising over the sea. This mind trace still resonates as a kind of magic feeling. Removed from the day to day life of parents, school, and trying to impress girls, and my mates for that matter, the, the plot of a teenager. So where does Zen come into this? Nothing profound. I really have popular culture of the early 70s to thank for this. And there is a surfing connection. Tracks magazine. I had to look this up. It was a long time ago. The first issue of Tracks magazine was published in October 1970. I was eight years old. I think the first time I was old enough to buy an issue was in 1974. The year when a huge cyclone swell smashed into the beaches all the way along the east coast as far south as Cronulla, which is where I was learning to surf. For me, this time in my life was an interesting time of learning about nature, the natural world and its power, and the mystique of something like surfing. Tracks from this era is now referred to as a counterculture publication. I had no idea what this meant, but for a kid in the suburbs of Sydney, tracks had surfing, hippies, nudity and drug references, and a dash of yoga and I don't think it was actually Zen, I think it had a dash of transcendental meditation. So it really did introduce an urban kid to a whole lot of crazy ideas, which my parents didn't like very much. But that's, that was really quite influential. But something from this era that did stick with me for quite a long time was that there was a surfer, a famous surfer at the time called Jerry Lopez, a Hawaiian known as Mr Pipeline, Pipeline being one of the world's most famous beaches. Jerry was so cool under pressure, so stylish and so fearless, that the surf media of the day referred to him as the Zen master of surfing. I had no idea what Zen actually was, but I sure wanted to be more like Jerry. So the idea, the seed was sown in my consciousness of this thing called Zen, even though it was way off the mark. It was really just a media construct, I now know that. But at the time, it, was mis it had a mystique, a magic about it. So I'll fast forward a bit. This is more reliable, it's more recent. I've always had a deep sense that we are connected to nature and an interest in how the natural world works. This would eventually lead me to a profession based on ecology and to questions about the place of humans in the world. I found science to be a satisfying and useful way to explore many aspects of these interrelationships. But science does not explain all things. Nature can exist without humans, but humans cannot exist without nature. Yet much human behaviour is self-serving and destructive. This is a whole topic for a talk in of itself, but it does deeply concern me that as humans, we just seem to be incapable of looking after and nurturing our own planet. But that's for another day. A feeling of something missing 
and not well explained led me to start a long path of Buddhist and in particular Zen research. This is truly a wandering journey so I'll speak briefly about some influential points along the way, not necessarily in chronological order. Hogan Yamahata, I've got a few Japanese names in here, I don't know if I'm pronouncing correctly. A Japanese Zen teacher who taught students from a Zendo in Byron Bay. I attended a five-day session in Broken Head in 1998. This was when I was spending a lot of time in the region doing my PhD research into the population dynamics of wild macadamia trees. I would sometimes attend early morning Zazen and spend the day in the rainforest. It sounds like more fun than it actually was. <laughs> if you ever spent a lot of time in rainforest, you'd soon become part of the food chain. <laughs> in retrospect, the effort to sit Zazen for a prolonged period and the practical advice Hogan imparted had a strong influence on me. Although I would not take up a regular Zen practice for another 20 years. The writers of many authors influenced me. A book that resonated strongly was The Light Inside the Dark by John Tarrant, a Tasmanian living and still teaching in the US in the Rinzai Zen tradition. John seems to have created his share of controversy in the world of Zen but his down-to-earth teaching with many classical Western philosophical references and a tendency towards the poetic resonated with me. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. The interior life is a place of the wild, uncivilised and unpredictable, giving us fevers, symptoms and moments of impossible beauty. Written in 1998 but probably the, probably the most influential modern Zen teacher for me has been our Dharma grandmother, Charlotte Joko Beck. I've read nothing special living Zen and everyday Zen at least twice from cover to cover. And more recently, we look closely at everyday Zen as part of our studies with Andrew. In nothing special living Zen, the eye of the hurricane, Joko poses a question. What if you found yourself flying a plane in a hurricane? Joko taught that most of us would try to preserve our life and the plane, but her lesson points towards something else. Life is enormously powerful and a bit out of control, but we so often live constricted lives where we do everything to protect ourselves, not living, not living joyfully in the moment, whatever it is. This still resonates with me. At the time, this certainly changed my day-to-day -day view of the world. Joko often refers to create, creating a bigger container for your life. This is a common theme in her teachings. In everyday Zen, Joko provided a piece of advice, which I took literally for a while. In the chapter, Opening Pandora's Box, she discussed the quality and commitment to a Zen practice. She made a comment. Practice is not easy. It will transform our life. But if we have a naive idea that this transformation can take place without a price being paid, we fool ourselves. Don't practice unless you feel there's nothing else you can do. Instead, step up your surfing or your physics or your music. If that satisfies you, do it. 
Don't practice unless you feel you must. It takes enormous courage to have a real practice. You have to face everything about yourself hidden in that box, including some unpleasant things you don't even want to know about. At the time I first read this, I was not ready for a committed and mature Zazen-based practice. Although I don't think I really wanted to admit it to myself. As it turns out, at this time in my life, I would embark on another adventure in a way where surfing in the wild southern ocean became a major part of my existence for a decade. Yet Joko's teaching stayed with me and in some way my relationship with surfing began to change. I got to think about what it meant to be committed, what it meant to take on good and bad in particular, and to accept life as it is. It stayed with me. So where does this leave us in this story? I'll end with a quote and a Zen saying that I've made up. First of all, a quote from Drew Campion from the Surfers Journal in an article called Lucky Eyes. Quite simply, we look at the past with the eyes and minds we have now. Even if we were there, really, we can hardly remember. My Zen saying, when surfing in the vast blue ocean, waves not good or bad, simply flow towards the sandy shore. Thank you.